We have one more instruction for us uh, this morning. It's a little bit uh, shorter one, just uh, two verses. Uh, to introduce it, I want us to just um, consider for a moment that in the church, certain members often employ other members. And, and this is true in this church. In this church, there are employees and employers that are brothers in Christ, and they worship together, and at church, they're one in Christ, and at work, one is the boss and one is the worker. The instruction we're going to look at this morning talks about masters and slaves. Now, we don't have masters and slaves in our, in our culture, but the principle is directly transferable to employers and employees. You might even say to managers and employees. So maybe it's not even the boss, but if you have a brother or sister in Christ who's your direct supervisor, the same principle carries over. Uh, just a short word about master and slave. What's not in view here is the American experience of master and slave, but it's much closer to employer-employee. In that, the social safety net of the Roman Empire was when someone could not provide for himself or for his family, he would indenture himself as a bondservant to someone who had the means to provide for him, and perhaps even for his whole family. And so it was a benevolent slavery, not always. I mean, there was abuses, for sure. But the system itself couldn't just be undone without there being a, a massive crisis in the economy and well-being of many people in the church. Now, the relationship of a master and a slave, or an employer or an employee, comes with a necessary power imbalance. And let no employee think that he is his employer's equal at work. Again, this can be difficult for us in our cultural context. Often we feel that we are superior to those who employ us, and you just go to the lunchroom if the boss isn't there, and just listen to the things that are said. Meanwhile, the employer is the one who is feeding the families of everyone who's employed by providing for them. I know that there's, there's labor that is exchanged for the wage. That's true. But without the wage, there is no labor. So there is a necessary power imbalance. And we don't like that. We don't, power imbalance, it doesn't feel right in our cultural context. And we have to use words like submission. A worker is to submit in all things to the employer. Unless it's sinful. Unless it's criminal. But employees are expected to submit to their employers. So whereas the gospel proclaims that we are all one in Christ, that's true, there is neither male nor female, no longer Jew nor Greek. There's no longer master or slave. And we abuse that verse, right, to say that sort of we live in this neo-communism where everyone is exactly equal. The gospel, however, never, ever, ever upsets hierarchical societal structures. And in fact, God is, is establishing an enduring kingdom. Kingdoms necessarily have a king on top and peasants at the bottom. And there's a hierarchy between the king and the peasants. And, and so God loves hierarchy and he loves order and, and the hierarchy is to be a benevolent hierarchy. So Jesus came in and says, don't be like the Gentiles who lord it over. That's true. 
So those on top must use their position of authority and leadership for the good and the well-being of those entrusted under them. The gospel radically has something to say about that. But the gospel doesn't undo hierarchy doesn't undo societal structures, whether it's in the home. We see the attack on this in the home, right? There is no hierarchy in a marriage. There is no headship in a marriage. Every, every marriage in our culture is a two-headed monster. <laughs> but the Bible says the husband is the head of his wife. And husband and wife together have authority over their children. Hierarchy. Uh, same in government. You go to Romans 13, right? Government. Uh, you must honor and submit to the governing authorities. Even Nero. Even Trudeau. Even Trump. Doesn't matter. You plug any name in there. So God is not about abolishing hierarchies. And he definitely does not abolish the hierarchy in the workplace. And so this power imbalance must be respected. Slaves, or in our case, employees, are not equal in the workplace to their employers. Now, imagine for a moment, this is a neat thought experiment. We'll get to the text in a moment. This will help us to cut through it fairly quick, though. Imagine for a moment that there is a member in the church who employs an elder of the church. This is interesting, isn't it? What does the Bible have to say about this? It means at church, the elder has been given spiritual authority over the members in the church, including his employer. But when you're at work, the elder can't come in and say, well, boss, I don't feel like doing what you've asked me to do today, and I want to remind you that I am your elder. It doesn't matter, because a spiritual man, if he has the position of elder in the church, understands the burden of headship to begin with, and he understands that with that headship, whether it be in the church, in the home, or at work, comes responsibility, and the best thing that that elder can do is joyfully, willfully honor his employer in all things, and submit to him, and come in and say, well, boss, what do you want me to do today? I'll gladly do it serving you in the Lord. So it just helps us to understand that these hierarchies are important to God and he hasn't abolished them. Uh, just a side note uh, before we look at the text. A lot of people are upset that God did not abolish slavery. I want to tell you God did abolish American-style slavery. And he used men like William Wilberforce and a host of others. God did abolish the evils of slavery and slave trading. What he did not abolish was a social safety net that depended upon the mutual giving of master and bondservant, where it was much more like an employee-employer. Were there abuses? Yes. Would the church have acted against abuses in the Roman context? Yes. So God in his word is not upholding American-style slavery. What he's saying is, in the workplace, there are some who are in charge and there are some who serve. The one who's in charge ought to be honored as he uh, employs and provides for the one who serves. That's the point. 
Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6, and please stand as you're finding your place. Instruction number 12, workers are to regard their employers as worthy of all honor. 1 Timothy 6, verses 1 and 2. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. These are the words of God. Please be seated. Oh God, as we take a look at these uh, verses and this instruction, I pray especially for the men, the women in this room right now who are in this situation with uh, brothers and sisters working together, some as employers and some as employees and I pray that you would bless them and teach them by your spirit and help all of us to understand uh, the implication of this instruction. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Workers are to regard their employees, uh, sorry, uh, their employers as worthy of all honor. What does worthy of all honor mean? Well, we already know what the word means, right? It has, it has two meanings, basically. One is to be of material benefit to, and the other is to show proper respect. It's true for widows, it's true for elders, it's true for masters or employers. Now, how can a worker be of material benefit to his or her employer? How can a slave who owns nothing be of material benefit to his or her master? The material benefit doesn't come in the form of money, but in the form of service. It comes in the form of labor, where the employee, the worker, or the slave works so as to be of material benefit to the master. I want us to spend the rest of our time, having figured that out, uh, looking at sort of this idea of respect. What does worthy of all honor mean with regard to proper respect? Well, the first part I might suggest to you is to honor with respect to attitude. That we honor our employers by the attitude we bring to work, by the attitude we take home from work. The attitude. Take a look at the first part of verse 2. Those who have believing masters... Believing employers must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. How many here have brothers? Several. Growing up, did you show your brother proper respect? Those of you who are parents and you have kids and you see siblings, do brothers and sisters show proper respect to one another? No. Herein lies the danger of Believers working for other believers. Well, you're my brother. I don't really need to respect you. I can joke around with you. I can say things about you that I would never, ever, ever consider saying about a non-believing employer. I will say things directly to your face, maybe in the form of a joke. 
because you're my brother. And I have this sort of sense of commonality. I have this comfort. I feel this freedom to be loose with my words and quick with my humor. I can undermine you in front of others with a sarcastic word because you're my brother and everyone knows that I love you in the Lord. That's so dangerous. And what Paul says here is, do not, just because you are brothers, for a moment think that you can be disrespectful to the one who pays your salary. Do not for a moment in the name of humor or do not for a moment think that you can bring a, 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 an actual disgruntled uh, uh, belief or feeling or idea into common view in a disrespectful way just because he's your brother. You must respect your employers as your employer. Be careful of the things you say. Now, how does this come out? Well, it comes out in your conduct at work. What are you saying about the boss at work? I've been in the workplace, but believe it or not, I used to have calloused hands. I used to work at a precast concrete factory, uh, and my dad was the boss. And I heard what people said about him. And I had a choice. I could either stand up for my dad, I could say nothing, or I could join in. Often I joined in. I didn't want to be the boss's son. What about you? Those of you who work for a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord, when other people are saying things, what do you do? Do you join in? Do you add to? Do you say nothing? Or do you stand up for? Conduct at work is extremely important. The words then spoken at work or at home when you come home. Remember, you're not just talking about your boss to your husband or to your wife. You're talking about their brother or sister that they have to see at church. How do you behave? What do you say at home about a difficult day at work? Or what about at church? The words that we say at church or a gathering of the church where we think it's maybe a safe place where I can sort of poke at the one who employs me. No. Inappropriate jokes that unnecessarily undermine the master or the employer even in jest, maybe with a bite of sarcasm, maybe with a hint of truth, are inappropriate. It's not becoming of a Christian worker. Rather, an attitude of joyful submission, words of respect at work, at home, in church, or wherever. Respect, a posture of, I want to please you. I want to do what is good for you. And thanksgiving. Every time you open the fridge, give thanks to God first and to your employer second. Even if he's your brother. Even if she's your sister. Second thing I want to tease out here is honor with respect to work ethic. Take a look at the second half of verse 2. So, don't be disrespectful just because they're your brothers, and brothers and sisters are often disrespectful to one another, even in love. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. And so in the positive sense, so the first one was kind of negative, don't be disrespectful in your words or your attitude. Uh, the second half is very positive. Provide a good work ethic. Be a good worker. 
The brotherhood of, in Christ ought to compel the employee or the slave to work harder out of love for his brother or sister in Christ. So when you go to work in the morning, you get to, this is amazing, and it's such a blessing. If you work for a Christian brother or a Christian sister, you get to collect two paychecks every day. This is how I want you to think about it. You collect a paycheck uh, by putting in your time, and you get, a, you get a check from your employer. You also get to store up riches for yourself in heaven. You collect a paycheck from God because you're serving a brother in Christ each and every day. And by the way, if you don't have a believing brother or sister as your boss, you still can earn two paychecks, right? By doing good to your unbelieving employer. But, but we're talking right now about those who work for believing uh, bosses, employers. You get to collect two paychecks, the material paycheck and the spiritual paycheck. And so you work hard, and the harder you work... May even not change the, the, the paycheck that you get from your employer, but it does change the size of your paycheck that goes into the heavenly coffers where rust and moth cannot destroy. So rather than being disrespectful, serve them all the more with a hard work ethic, knowing that you are saving up for yourself riches in heaven by being a good servant. And you're doing it not just to collect money. This is the second thing. You're not just working for money. You're working because of love. Because of love. So all honor, then, in this verse is a picture for us. This is the third thing I want to leave us with. You may be working with unbelievers. Therefore, the way you work for your brother or sister in Christ is a picture to them of how the church is to serve Christ because he's the master of us all and we are his slaves together. And so the principle here of slaves or, or workers giving all honor to their masters or their employers is a picture of the church giving all honor to Christ. And so every time you get up in the morning to go to work for that, that Christian brother or sister, think about this. Today, I have an opportunity to be a living picture of the church's rightful submission to and joyful working for our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do that, you'll be a good servant both to your earthly master and to your heavenly master. Which brings us to the end of this section in the book of 1 Timothy. Look at the last part of verse 2. Teach and urge these things. What is he talking about? He's talking about basically all of 5.3 through 6.2. And we've seen three groups Pointed out. Now, did you notice as we went along? Honor widows who are truly widows. Let elders who rule well be worthy of double honor. Slaves or bond servants or workers are to regard their employers or their masters as worthy of all honor. Do you see the progression there? Single honor for widows, double honor for elders, and all honor for masters or employers. 
That means that we give ourselves entirely to our Christian brothers who are our employers because that most fully is a picture of Christ and the church. So whereas we are of material benefit to widows who need the help, help those who cannot help themselves, and we are of material benefit to elders who are vocational elders, and we give them the respect that is due to them, if you're a worker who works for a Christian brother or sister, you give them all honor as unto the Lord. You, you, you pour it all out. You, you live for them at work, at home, at church, wherever you are. Therefore, if you think of your, if, uh, your employment in those terms, it'll change the way you think, change the way you feel. It'll change the things that you say, no matter what the pretense of the things that you say are. It'll change your work ethic. Ultimately, then, it'll change your witness. So we've just come through a hard section in the letter all about honor, in a culture that hates to honor anyone except for self. We're being told to honor the needy, the helpless, to honor those in authority, and to honor those who have authority over us for our very livelihoods. And when we can submit in these ways, oh, we bring honor to Christ. And let us not forget that though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be held on to, but he took the form of a servant. He emptied himself, and he submitted himself to the point of death, even death on a cross for our sake. Now, if the God and creator of the universe can do that for us, can we not submit to and honor one another? We walk in his footsteps. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, I, I pray for us. We don't live in a culture that easily honors anyone. Help us to honor the needy. Help us to honor those in authority over us. Help us to honor those who employ us. We thank you for all of these groups. We pray that as we seek to uh, attribute proper honor in each and every case, that ultimately it's you who are honored. It is you who is glorified. It is you who is worshipped. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.